Have you ever used that phrase? I saw it done this week. I was watching the national championship football game, and uh, he comes off the field, and he's going, this on me. This one's on me. That's not where I got the sermon title, okay? But <clears throat> tonight, this one's on me. Have you used that phrase? Have you heard it used before? It means I'm going to take care of this, okay? This is on me. Check at dinner. This one's on me. Maybe you made a mistake one time. This is on me. Maybe it's a job at work. This one's on me. I'm going to take care of this. Task around the house. This one's on me. This is a passage in Scripture that we're going to read tonight in uh, the book of Genesis chapter 15 where God says, I'm going to take care of that. Okay, He's saying, this one's on me. I'm going to do this. Now, here's a little refresher. Lot and all of his possessions were spirited away by the enemy, carried away into another place. Abraham goes to war with those who captured Lot. He brings Lot and all of his possessions back to where Lot lived. The kings in the surrounding areas were grateful to him. Melchizedek, the king, speaks a great blessing over Abraham. And Abraham is rich, powerful, and famous, and he now sits before kings. His status has been lifted in the land. Okay? All right. And if you want to, we're going to start right now. In num at number one, we're going to jump right into it. God makes a proclamation. Now, when God says something, He means it. Genesis 15 and 1, He says to Abram, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. I get in the habit of calling him Abraham. He's not Abraham yet, okay? He's still Abram, okay? So forgive me if I make that mistake. It's very easy to do. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. You know, this seems like it'd be one of the greatest promises that you could ever get from God. If he were to state this to you, he'd probably go, yes, I'll take that, okay? The promises of God are real and powerful. And the word of God is filled with his promises. Remember Abram's time in God's story here, okay? This is before the Ten Commandments. Abram is before the Levitical law. As a matter of fact, 400 years before the Levitical law. This is way before he had a roadmap or anybody had a roadmap or anything toward God other than just his voice. Abram and God were talking back and forth like friends. And this is the time that you would think that Abram would step back and he would just say, thank you, God, for this promise. Abram doesn't do that. He presses in and he challenges God. And the neat thing about this is God doesn't get frustrated with Abram. Number two, Abram is honest with God. And honesty is the only way to walk with God. In Genesis 15, 2 through 6, it says, But Abram said, Sovereign Lord. By the way, when he says Sovereign Lord, he's, ex he's acknowledging God as the one true God that is in control of everything. He says, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up to the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, 
Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Sovereign Lord, you are God, and you are God over all. And then he says this really bold thing. He, he presses in, and he questions God and the reality of his situation. Abram wants something that he doesn't have. And one of the things that is required to walk with God is what? It's faith. Hebrews 11, now faith is a confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. This is that blind step into the darkness. I like what the preacher once said. He said, faith works best in the dark. Let me tell you, first of all, what faith is not. Faith is not saying repeatedly, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. And there is a power in positive thinking, and I think it is scriptural somewhat to say positive things, but we cannot change our circumstances by the power of our mind. Okay? Faith is not about simply pushing out doubt. Abram had doubt. He needed reassurance, and that's why he said what he said. When we doubt something, it doesn't necessarily mean that we don't have faith. Remember the New Testament says, Lord, help my unbelief. I believe, but Lord, help my unbelief. Faith isn't denying reality. I have a headache. It's not faith to say, I don't have a headache. That's not faith. Faith is recognizing what really is. I have a headache, but God, will you help me out with this thing? Faith is believing anyway, trusting anyway. Faith is recklessly putting your faith in the hands of God and saying, I trust you regardless. I see what's happening now. I know what's happening right now. Abram acknowledges God for who he is. He says, Sovereign Lord. Then God makes a promise. Then Abram has doubt. God reassures Abram, and Abram believes. We always think that maybe if I have any doubt, I just don't have any faith. I don't think that's the case. Number three, God makes a promise. Genesis 15, 7 through 8. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. (laughs) Here we go again. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? little doubt there, wouldn't you say? Isn't this amazing this guy's in the Faith Hall of Fame? Do you see the dialogue back and forth between God and Abram? I am the Lord, and here we go again. Abram presses into the Lord. How can I know that I'm going to get this stuff? I don't see the Lord getting frustrated yet. Do you? Same pattern. Acknowledgement, promise, then doubt. But let's not be too critical of Abram. How many of us need reassurance we all like to have reassurance David back here and Brenda Brenda went to the dinner table one night and she says David why don't you tell me you love me anymore and David looks her back in the eye and said honey I said I love you the day that we got married and if anything changes I'll let you know Thank you for letting me use you guys. 
We all need reassurance, okay? We all need it. But that's not reassurance that David gave to Brenda. I don't advise anybody reassuring somebody that way. If you're going through something in your life, God wants to reassure you that He is looking out for you and your best interests. He wants you to know that He's there and He's still remaining closer than a brother. He will never leave you or forsake you. He's still reassuring you. He's the one who sits with you in the midnight hour. He is still the one who is taking every one of your tears and bottling like He promised He would in the book of Psalms. He's there for you, and he wants you to be reassured tonight. Number four, Abram prepares the sacrifice. Genesis 15, 9 through 10. So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Verse 10, Abram bought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. You know, up to this point in the book of Genesis, we don't have a lot of example of animal sacrifice at this point. We know that Christ will be the lamb that was sacrificed from the, uh, the foundation of the world. He would be the permanent, eternal sacrifice. But why the animal sacrifice? Abram a lot of theologians say Abram understood covenants and they were done in that culture by animal sacrifice and that's why God did the animal sacrifice. Why the attention paid to the animals that were three years old, okay? The heifer, the goat, and the ram, they're all three years old. Why pay attention to that three years old? It's because there was the potential for perfection and probably a better word would be maturity. This was the idea that God was bringing forth his best in the covenant. That perfection or that maturity is bringing the best I've got here for this sacrifice. The halves of the animals represented the two sides that were entering into the covenant. There was a side of God and then there was a side of Abram. So one side meant God, the other side represented Abram. The animals being divided meant that what was being done to these animals, if I break this covenant, let it be done to me should this covenant be broken by myself. But I look at that, and I, I, I start, why those animals? Why, why those? And, and, and I started looking at them, and I began to look, well, how many? How many are there? Okay, we've got a heifer. We've got a goat, we've got a ram, we've got a dove, and we've got a pigeon. I start looking at that and I think, ah, one, two, three, four, five. Heifer, goat, a ram, a dove, and a pigeon. Five animals for sacrifice. And then I realize number five, that's the number of grace. That's the number of grace there. God stepping up and saying, let me show you my grace. Okay? 
There were five animals for sacrifice. Five is the number of grace. There are five books in the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Man has five senses. He can hear. He can see. He can smell. He can taste. And he can touch. Five senses. He has five fingers. And he has five toes on his hands and on his feet. There are five quarts of blood in the human body. Jesus had five quarts of blood inside of him, and they were all spilled upon Calvary. There were five wounds on his body. He had a crown of thorns placed upon his head. His back was lashed. He had nails put in both of his hands. He had nails put in both of his feet, and he had a spear placed in his side. Oh, my friends, somebody ought to shout about grace and how God pictures and makes it a shadow in the, New, in the Old Testament of what was to come in the, in the New Testament. My friends, every time you as a human look down at your hand and you see five fingers on it, one, two, three, four, five, you better be, begin to thank God for his sacrifice on Calvary and every drop of blood that was spilled and every wound that he bore on your back because you didn't have anything to do with it. It was all about God and he did it for you. For all eternity. Number five. There will always be vultures. Abram has gone through a lot of trouble gathering these animals together. You know, we could read this verse in just a few seconds, can't we? Just a few seconds. Gone to a lot of troubles finding and preparing them for sacrifice. The animals are cut and laid on the altar, but we just read it and we read right past it. We don't think about Abraham going out and finding all these animals. I'm not sure it was real easy to catch a dove or a pigeon. Maybe a heifer and a goat and a ram, maybe a little bit, because they're farm animals and those kind of things. He had to go get these things. Not only did he have to get them, he had to find those that were three years old. And he goes out and he starts preparing this sacrifice. This has been a real burden. It's taken a lot of time. This is a picture of Abraham putting his burden on the altar and his sacrifice. He spent all this time, and the vultures come to take it. This is a sacrifice from the vultures. What a great picture of the things that we need to be rid of in our lives. We bring our poor attitudes. We bring that anger issue. We bring the lust. We bring the greed. We bring this stuff, and we say, we bring this to you, Lord, and we know that you only can help me with this. Number six, God reveals the rest of the story. Genesis 15, 12 through 15 says, As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Listen. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that 400 years, in 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. Good or bad? Bad. I'll help you out a little bit. And that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. Good or bad? That's bad. You guys are catching on. Verse 14, but I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. Good or bad? 
That's good. Okay? And after that, afterward, they will come out with great possessions. Good or bad? Good. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. Abraham goes, well, thanks, God. That's your message to me. These are our promises from God. And these things that he's going to do to all of his seed, they're not Abram's fault, but they're still truth. He gives him promises that are going to be 400 years in the making. I want the kind of promises that God says, this is going to happen by Tuesday afternoon. Maybe it's because I'm in a fast food generation. I grew up with McDonald's and I grew up with a microwave and I grew up with all these things that were at my hands. But folks, when we're calling God sovereign in our life, we exchange our clocks and our watches for God's calendar. When he's really sovereign in our life. And here finally in the last point, this covenant that God is making with Abraham was a unilateral covenant. Unilateral covenant, and I'll explain. Genesis 15, 17 through 18 says, When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. The pieces, the sacrifice. They had been had, the three animals, okay, and the birds left whole. And the smoking fire pot and the blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. Gets kind of mysterious here, doesn't it? On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said to your descendants, I give this land. Remember I said after they were divided, the covenant was saying, whatever happened to these animals, if I break this covenant, let it happen to me. God's making this covenant. He made Abraham fall asleep and put a big darkness over the top of him. And this was to show that Abram had nothing to do with it. He had nothing to do with this sacrifice except bring it. But it was after this darkness that the smoking pot and the fiery blaze walked through the sacrifice. We're talking about the symbolism here, and the symbolism here is this. The smoking pot was Father God. The fiery torch was the Holy Spirit. And the sacrifice was Jesus. The Godhead was present. Abraham didn't walk through the sacrifice. It was God, and it was God alone. And he was saying, I'm making a promise to you. You don't have anything to do with it. I am blessing you in this covenant. God was walking through the sacred sacrifice, not Abraham. God says, step back, Abraham. This one's on me. When Jesus went to Calvary, God said, everybody step back. <laughs> this one's on me. This is my promise, my promise to humanity throughout all of time. It's not about you. It's on me. Would you stand?